Welcome to Making Connections News. I'm your host, Mimi Pickering. On this episode of our Radio Hour and Podcast, we're tuning into an August 13th webinar on black lung and current grassroots organizing efforts to enact legislative changes needed to reduce the disease and provide adequate benefits for the victims. Black Lung, People, Power, and Policy was organized by the Black Lung Association, Appalachian Citizens Law Center, and Appalachian Voices. Dust standards that miners and their allies pushed through Congress in the late 1960s and early 1970s were expected to eliminate coal dust accumulation in the mines and thus black lung disease. Shockingly, the disease has not gone away, and in fact, in central Appalachia, it's occurring at its highest rate in decades. This August 13th virtual event brought together coal miners and advocates to discuss how the disease impacts miners' lives, what can be done to reduce dust and silica in the mines, and grassroots efforts to ensure adequate funding for the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund. Courtney Rhodes from Appalachian Citizens Law Center hosted the event, and Gary Harston from the Black Lung Association was the first to speak. He's followed by Debbie Wills, a Black Lung Benefits Counselor who describes the disease and the complicated and lengthy benefits claim process. Yes, I'm Gary Harston. Uh, I belong to the National Black Lung Association, and I'm a president of the National and president of the Fayette County Black Lung Association. Uh, I'm a coal miner. I come out of coal mine when I was 48 years old. Because uh, of black lung, uh, it, it really hampered the way I used to do stuff. And I was even planning on going back to work. Uh, and, and I thought maybe about the year I was off that I could go back and make it. And the doctor telling me not to, but I was thinking about my family. So I did everything. I was just planning on going back. And like I said, I was off a whole year. Uh, have, going back and hit fourth out of the hospital with uh, pneumonia. And I figured when the first of the year come that I was going to go back to work. And when I planned on going back, I got sick. Uh, I was at church. And I was getting ready to get up and preach. And I got sick. And my wife had carried me out of the church uh, to the hospital. And I was in there for a week. And that's when I started fouling for my black lung. And uh, try to get my disability because I didn't see where I could. Well, my doctor told me if I went back in that within two years I'd be on oxygen. And then I realized, and it was because of uh, the the clinics, the uh, black lung clinics that really helped me get to start getting my black lung. Uh, they got me in touch with the uh, the University of Virginia the Law School, and they helped me to get my black lung. So once uh, they helped me, they asked me that I want to become a member. So I became a member and it was helping them do that. And so I've been trying to do everything I can to help everybody that's trying to get their black lung. And, and I tell you, if it wasn't for the black lung clinics and the one helping us to do this, we would have, and especially the law and Courtney and all them helping us now, and it's doing a lot better what we're doing. Thanks, Gary. Gary, can you talk a little bit about what some of the things you've done as a part of the Black Lung Association? Yes, I've been. I went to. We went to Washington, and I was on a panel up there a couple of years ago. We were trying to get uh, to make sure we didn't lose the the coal tax. They wanted to cut it, and we're past over half. 
And we was up there fighting that and trying to get, see about the silicon, see about the winter benefit, because they were talking about cutting that. So we've been trying to work and make sure the winners keep elves and try to make it a lot easier for the coal miners to get their black lung, because it seemed like every time they try to do something, uh, the companies can find a way to kind of hinder us from getting it. Gary, do you want to share with folks a little bit about how you live day to day and having black lung? Well, I got to pace myself. Everything I do, I got to pace myself. Even cutting my grass, you like to cut my grass in 30, 40 minutes now. Most time I got to stop even cutting my grass. Uh, uh, and if, if you see my front yard, it ain't big at all. I like to be able to do stuff with my grandson. I can't even do that. Uh, because I ain't got the wind to do it. Even going up steps uh, is it, kind of tough. When I get to the top of my steps in my house, I got to stand at the door and get a little bit of rest before I go on to, to the house. I go somewhere and sit down. So it, it hindered me from doing a lot that I'm used to doing. Thank you so much, Gary, for sharing your story with us. My name is Debbie Wills, and I've been a Black Lung Benefits Counselor in Southern West Virginia for 32 years. Um, I was interested in working in this field because my maternal grandfather died of coal miner's asthma. That's actually what was written on his death certificate. And I had two benefit, two uncles who were fighting for benefits at the time I entered this job. But what kept me going were people like Dr. Donald Rasmussen, Mike South, and Cecil Roberts, and many others like Grant and Joe Maine, they all helped me and they all encouraged me to stay in the work. And I'm trying to pass that on to others. The first thing I wanted to talk about, black lung is caused by minute particles of coal dust and silica that are inhaled during the mining preparation or transportation of coal. There are two kinds, types of the disease, clinical pneumoconiosis and legal pneumoconiosis. Clinical pneumoconiosis is diagnosed by x-ray. Small stains and hardened areas of swelling develop in the lungs as the reaction to the dust. Coal macules and nodules, along with collections of dust and scarring are distributed throughout the lungs. There are three stages of the disease called simply first, second, and third. And each of those stages are broken down by beginning, middle, and end of the stage. If the nodules are less than one centimeter, simple black lung is diagnosed. If the nodules are one centimeter or larger, we call it complicated black lung. Um, and this, this x-ray evidence of black lung is sometimes called classic black lung by doctors. Legal pneumoconiosis is diagnosed by pulmonary function testing and or arterial blood gas studies. If there's significant impairment to the miner's breathing showing up in one or both of these tests, black lung can be diagnosed with the, by the physician with or without x-ray evidence. The claims process for federal black lung benefits starts with an application form. The form is lengthy and intimidating to miners. So all of the black lung clinics help minors complete the form and send documents such as proof of coal mine employment, marriage certificates, or birth certificates of, if applicable. These claims go to a central mailroom in Kentucky, but are assigned to claims examiners around the country. 
The claims examiners verify the employment history and authorize an appointment with the Department of Labor examiner. The examiner is a doctor that the Department of Labor pays to run these tests and interpret the test. There's a list of examining doctors who have been approved and the minor can choose any doctor from the list. The, the Department of Labor pays the doctor that the minor chooses. Once the doctor is notified by the Department of Labor, he or she schedules an appointment for the minor. He will have a chest x-ray, a breathing test, and arterial blood gas study. Then the physician will examine him. Based on the results and the physical examination, the doctor will determine if the minor is totally disabled from his regular coal mine job. If the results are totally disabling, from the chart the Department of Labor gives its examiners, the doctor will determine he is totally disabled. Or if he is not disabled from his regular coal mine job. Usually the claims examiner rules whatever the doctor recommends in the claim and sends the report and the decision to the miner and the um, coal operator. This is called schedule for submission of additional evidence. Each party in this claim will have 60 days to send additional evidence to be considered in the claim. Then each party has an additional 30 days to send rebuttal evidence. When the claims examiner considers the new evidence, he or she issues a proposed decision in order. Both the minor and the responsible operator have 30 days to protest that decision. If it's protested, it goes to an administrative law judge to schedule a hearing. 20 days prior to the hearing, each party can submit chest x-ray reports, to breathing tests, to blood gas studies, and to doctor's reports to support their position. After the hearing, the judge makes a decision. Either party can appeal that decision to the Benefits Review Board. At that level, no additional evidence can be submitted. They will decide if the judge made the decision based on the evidence in the the evidence and the law. Their decision will be sent to both parties in the claim. Then either party can appeal the claim to the circuit court. Once the circuit court rules, there are no more appeals. The key factor in a living minor claim is, is the minor totally disabled from his regular coal mine job due to respiratory problems. And the key factor in a widow's claim is the black lung cause or significantly contribute to the minor's death. Currently, if the minor wins his claim, his widow will automatically be entitled to benefits until she dies or remarries. But if a minor is not receiving benefits at the time of his death, the widow will have to prove that black lung significantly contributed to his death. As I was looking through materials, I found a flyer from 1993 um, that's asking minors to sign up to go to Washington, D.C. to lobby um, for the law that we ended up getting um, 19 years later. And that was so that widows could continue to get their benefits um, after the minor died, if he was receiving benefits at the time of his death. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. Our next speaker is from my organization, Appalachian Citizens Law Center, and it's going to be Rebecca Shelton. Hi, folks. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And I just uh, want to reiterate a couple of things that 
um, Debbie said, one that you can see that this has not been an easy political battle for for these miners over the last several decades, nor is it once, um, even with the law that we currently have um, that was won, it's a hard benefits and claims process. Um, you heard Debbie go through that claims process and it's, it's complicated, it's not easy to navigate, and it takes years for a lot of people, um, even over, you know, decades even. So this is, there's nothing easy about it. Um, but anyway, I'm here, I'm, I'm from, as Courtney said, Appalachian Citizens Law Center in Whitesburg, Kentucky. I'm the director of policy and organizing at our organization. We are a public interest law firm, and part of what we do is represent minors in their federal black lung disability claims. So currently we represent over 400 minors at the organization. So one thing I'm gonna speak particularly about silica dust and its implication in disease causality and what we've been doing to try to reduce the amount of silica dust that minors are exposed to. But first I wanna make really clear that it is the duty of the Department of Labor and the Mine Safety and Health Administration to protect minors from harmful dust. Uh, the Federal Mine Safety and Health Act of 1977 requires the Secretary of Labor to, quote, set standards which most adequately assure on the basis of the best available evidence that no minor will suffer material impairment of health or functional capacity, even exposed to those hazards during their working life. So first, I want to make clear that this disease is not something that is going away. Um, this is a, a publication from 2018 that shows that um, in part A of the graph on the very left-hand side of your screen, you can see that the incidence of black lung disease is increasing throughout the United States, um, and then especially since 2000. And the middle graph shows um, the prevalence, particularly in central Appalachia, where we're located. And it's increasing with um, even into a greater disease here in central Appalachia. And among those cases in central Appalachia, I wanna emphasize that we're having an increased prevalence of the more, more severe and most complicated forms of the disease. Um, so here's a, there's a graph here from the study that shows uh, in the cases since 2000, there's been a higher prevalence of these complicated forms of the disease. And I just wanna emphasize that here at, at ACLC too, in representing minors, um, you know, prior to around 2014, we represented hardly any minors um, that had this, the most complicated form of the disease. And since that time, since around 2014, we have actually, we've represented more than 100 minors who are younger and sicker than ever before that qualify for this complicated, um, severe form of disease. And the severe form of the disease, there's a clear link between silica dust and this form of the disease. Um, medical studies have established that causality, established that link. Uh, between silica dust and complicated black lung disease by examining the, the pathology and the progression of disease in minors who are sick. So in addition to the medical studies, you can see over here on this graph, it's a, um, a history of quartz or silica dust sampling data from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Historically, the levels of silica dust are higher in Appalachia coal mines than they are compared to the rest of the United States. So in summary, overall, the incidence of black lung disease is increasing across the country. 
Um, complicated disease or progressive massive fibrosis is increasing in particular in central Appalachia. The percentage of silica dust in Appalachian mines has been historically higher compared to the rest of the US and medical researchers have established a link between silica dust exposure and complicated disease. And so with all of that evidence, we can only conclude that if we reduce the amount of silica dust that miners are exposed to, we're gonna save lives. So this is not new information. Uh, recommendations have been made over the last 25 years to put forward a better and stronger standard to reduce the amount of dust that miners are exposed to. So the current standard for silica dust in particular is that it's, it's actually, the standard is an indirect way of measuring and controlling for silica dust. So enforcement action by the agency is taken to reduce silica only when silica exceeds 5% of the total dust sample by weight. So, and the, the intent, even though it's an indirect way of measuring this, is to keep miners exposed to less than 100 micrograms of silica dust per cubic meter of air. However, since 1995, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health has made a recommendation that that exposure limit should be cut in half. Uh, closely followed thereafter in 2000, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists also adopted a threshold limit and recommendation that actually it should be a quarter of that, it should be only 25 micrograms of silica dust per cubic meter of air. In 2016, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which regulates the industries for all other workers aside from minors, they reduced their, their standard for silica and established a rule that reduced silica exposure for all of those workers to less to 50 micrograms of silica dust per cubic meter of air. So in essence, we have miners in this country that are permitted to be exposed to more harmful dust than any other worker in the country. So we're not the only ones who think that this is wrong um, and not the only ones who are fighting for change, of course. Um, but I do just want to mention a couple of things that our organization, ACLC, has done over the years and on behalf of minors that we represent. Um, in 2009, so you'll notice um, over a decade ago, we submitted a petition to the Mine Safety and Health Administration to reduce both the overall dust standard that, that minors are allowed to be exposed to and to establish a separately enforceable and reduced silica dust standard. So at, in 2010, the agency responded to our petition and they committed to proceed with a rulemaking for both processes. And in 2014, they did establish a new dust rule that um, was a, a huge accomplishment and um, it reduced the overall amount of dust that miners are allowed to be exposed to, but no action was ever taken to create a separate silica standard under that administration and no further action was taken to progress the rule under the Trump administration. So just last month, we again submitted our second petition to MSHA for the same issue to ask them to create a separately enforceable and reduced silica standard. And we have not yet received an official response from the agency. That was Rebecca Shelton, research director at Appalachian Citizens Law Center. 
Next to speak is Willie Dotson from Appalachian Voices, who describes the critical need to increase the excise tax to keep the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund solvent and able to provide health care and benefits to minors and their widows. You know, the title of this uh, webinar is, is People, Power, and Policy. And the policy is basically the, the fruit of the, the labor of, of the organizing. We're trying to advance policies that will protect minors and that will take care of minors who already have black lung. Um, but we, we never get policy unless we build power on the grassroots level. And that's something that the Black Lung Association has been doing for many decades now. Um, and that Appalachian Voices and Appalachian Citizens Law Center are really uh, happy to be working with the Black Lung Association on today. So that uh, law that the, that the first iteration of the Black Lung Association was so instrumental in passing was called the, it's called the Black Lung Benefits Act. It passed in 1972 and it uh, did two things. It secured the payments of medical expenses related to black lung and the payments of disability benefits for minors who were deemed disabled uh, by black lung to, to where they couldn't work anymore. Uh, those benefits, those entitlements also extend to a minor's widow once they die or to any other dependent survivors. Uh, so then the question is, well, who pays for that? We've acknowledged that there's an occupational disease that is taking minors out of the workforce and ultimately taking their lives. And we've legislated uh, measures to, to try to do right by these folks, but it costs money. So who pays for it? Well, the law uh, establishes a designation called the responsible operator. This is the last company for which a minor has worked for a year. The responsible operator is the entity under this law that is responsible for paying uh, for the medical care that the minor requires and for those monthly disability benefits. But what if that company has gone bankrupt or if for some other reason the responsible operator is, is unable to pay? Well, in that case, the federal government pays and the Black Lung Benefits Act set up a fund for that purpose called the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund. And this is administered through the Department of Labor. So the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund has a single dedicated source of revenue, and that is the Black Lung Excise Tax. It's also called the Coal Excise Tax sometimes. What this is, is a per ton tax on the sales of coal in the United States at a rate of $1.10 per ton on coal mined underground and 55 cents a ton on uh, coal extracted from surface mining. There is a ceiling uh, kind of built into the law of 4.4% of the sale tax, the sale price of the coal. The sale price of coal is well above where that uh, will, will come into play right now. Um, so it's at that rate of $1.10 on underground mine coal and 55 cents on surface mine coal. Unfortunately, this is the only dedicated source of revenue and the rates of the disease have skyrocketed, uh, particularly in Appalachia. Concurrently to that, there has also been a wave of coal bankruptcies in Appalachia um, and elsewhere, actually, in the West, too, quite a few. So that means that the responsible operators have left the picture in a lot of cases. And so while the rates of the disease have, have risen, the percentage of beneficiaries that have to be picked up by the federal government has, has also risen. 
So we have a, a, a debt around $4 billion right now where the trust fund is paying out uh, around, you know, more in benefits and medical payments than it's bringing in through the excise tax. So the rate of this tax has uh, fluctuated some through the life of the program. It's been raised a number of times to, to account for uh, the immense need that the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund is meeting. And the current rates that we have today were established in 2008, initially for a period of 10 years. And at the end of that 10 year period, it was set to automatically be cut back to the previous rate, which was 50 cents on underground and 25 cents on, on surface. Um, in 2018, we went to Washington. It was a pretty small group of us that year. Um, we met with Representative uh, Griffith, who represents Southwest Virginia. We met with Senator Warner and a number of other folks to kind of put this issue on people's radars. And we did find some, some folks who really seemed to care and seemed to want to understand, um, but ultimately we were not successful in, in that year. And at the end of 2018, uh, the tax was cut in half. Now in 2019, the Virginia chapters of the Black Lung Association, the chapters in Kentucky and West Virginia, a number of other partners kind of really doubled down and started organizing together on a, on a bigger scale. And we went back to Washington with a much bigger group this time, um, and we were successful by the end of 2019. We were asking for a 10-year extension of the tax at its historic rate, $1.10 a ton on underground coal. We had a partial victory. They extended it, uh, they brought it back to that rate and extended it for one year. Uh, we kept at it all through last year that we couldn't go to Washington because of COVID. And we, again, were asking for a 10-year extension and got that partial victory where we got a, a one-year extension. Next slide, Courtney. So um, I'm going to kind of pause on that, that story of kind of how we've been advancing this, this uh, policy from the grassroots to just illustrate the, the depth of the crisis. Uh, on this chart here, which is uh, based on a government accountability office study, that was done a few years ago. So I don't wanna spend a whole lot of time on, on this, but I think it's an important thing to, to take note of. It is uh, unconstitutional to apply a tax to an exported good. So any coal that is exported from the United States is not subject to the black lung excise tax. We call that the export loophole. Um, it's another reason that the trust fund is in such bad shape. Rebecca and I, we looked at uh, total coal production last year, the percentage of that that was exports, and found that around $51 million of revenue uh, would have been brought into the trust fund were there a way to apply the tax or, or a comparable fee to the exported coal. Uh, and just for some perspective, the amount that the trust fund ran in the red last year was 38 million. So if the export loophole weren't there, it would have accounted for that shortfall from last year. So this is where we are now. Um, at the end of this year, the excise tax is going to be uh, slashed back to those lower levels again, unless Congress does something. So I can imagine how exhausting and tedious it is for, for my friend Gary, who you all heard from earlier, or for some of these other coal miners who have come to know doing this work, who ha have to fight for every breath, um, to have to go to Washington every year or every year that we can to, to fight for their, their benefits and their funding is just really an insult if you ask me. But 
there is a solution. Um, Congress needs to raise the black lung excise tax by 25%. So there's a few reasons that we are pushing for, for this policy. And, and the, the we here is App Voices and Appalachian Citizens Law Center and the Black Lung Association. The, the first reason is basically just that we're in a crisis and it's not letting up. Miners are, are getting sicker than in previous generations and they're getting sicker younger uh, than ever before. I've talked to um, some, of the, some of the clinic workers and, and heard these tales of miners in their early 30s coming in and, and showing, in some cases, pretty advanced forms of the disease, and, and it's, it's devastating. The other reason is that th this is the percentage that is necessary for, we're just starting from a point of need. That GAO report projected that a 25% increase in the tax and a permanent extension of the tax is the rate that would be necessary to bring the trust fund into solvency by 2050. That's what's necessary. So that's what we're pushing for. Now, there's kind of two, two simultaneous causes here. One is to just ensure that miners have their, their benefits and their health care. But kind of along with that is to ensure that the culpable parties are paying their fair share for that. And those parties would be the, the coal companies for which these miners have worked and, and sacrificed their health. Uh, the alternative to that is going to be that you you and me and everybody else on this call ends up ends up paying for it out of our own taxes. The final reason that this is uh, that this 25% increase is the policy that we're pushing for today is that this has been proposed into the current Congress. And as far as I'm aware, this is the only policy seeking to address the solvency crisis. That is where PIN's been put to paper and it's been introduced into a committee. Senator Sanders proposed a 25% increase to the black lung excise tax um, in the, the budget committee, which, which he chairs. We've been listening to Black Lung, People, Power, and Policy, an August 13th virtual event. For more information on black lung disease and the black lung excise tax, go to blacklungkills.com. Thank you for listening to Making Connections News. All of our stories about opportunities and challenges for diversifying Appalachia's economy and renewing our communities are available on our website, makingconnectionsnews.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. I'm your host, Mimi Pickering, for WMMT Mountain Community Radio.